Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Scherba, and today I'm extremely excited to be sitting down with Arthur Phillip, the Chief Growth Officer of Publicis Sapien. Arthur, really excited to have you on the podcast today. I've been looking forward to sitting down and having this conversation. Why don't we just get right into it? Can you take us through your career journey leading up until this point? Sure. Thank you, Peter. It's uh, it's thrilling for me to be here today. I've been looking forward to this as well. And uh, I've become a huge fan of this podcast. I think I told you even before I joined the firm, I was searching for ways to really dig in and understand the, the culture and the environment of the company. Yeah. And clearly, the podcast has gone beyond uh, executives of Publicis Sapien. I mean, there's some wonderful people from around industry that are part of the podcast now. But yeah. uh, at least the first number of episodes helped me kind of get a, a feel for how people were thinking and feeling in the heartbeat. So congratulations to you. No, thank um, you. Thank you for joining. Well, thank you. Listen, um, you know, a little bit about my background and, and some of the context. Um, you know, I was, I'll, I'll rewind it a little bit before my career. I was born in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania, and I was fortunate growing up. I spent about a third to almost a half of my childhood, um, not just in the United States, but in Poland and in Russia. And my father was a, a defector from communist Poland back in the 1960s. He was, he came here uh, as a medical student. He was not allowed to return to the uh, communist bloc once he became an American citizen and declared that he was going to stay. But I was allowed as a young child to go back and visit my grandparents and other family members. And so I'd spend my summers and holidays there. And, you know, for me, I bring this up because uh, this was a part of my childhood that was really formative. And it was at the height of the Cold War in the 80s and early 90s. And I, I'd leave the, 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 you know, secure confines of the suburbs of Philadelphia and and the capitalist United States, and I'd go, you know, land and basically get my food card. Where once a week I had to stand in line to get my right. bread and toilet paper and meat. And and I think the big lesson for me early on was that helped me understand different cultures and uh, that not everything is going to be uh, nice and comfortable. That there are different philosophies and different uh, you know governing bodies that. That may have an implication on how you live and and you know grow up and things of that nature. Um, I went to school in Boston, uh, phenomenal place. And in fact, when I was graduating, it was about the time that that Sapient was starting out in this world. So I remember a lot of the hype and the early energy around the company. Um, uh, I've had a fantastic career over thirty years. Uh, started out at a company that no longer exists today called Digital Equipment Corporation. Uh, in a marketing and management development training program and actually went into consulting uh, from that training program. Uh, subsequently, I spent 10 years at IBM uh, where I rose to become a global consulting partner uh, and really specializing in the travel and transportation industry, looking at large-scale operational systems, uh, reservations, um, some of the back office systems, but also airport operations, um, reservations and things of that nature, what we used to call the travel ribbon, right. uh, which was the holy grail 
you know, back in the uh, mid nineties or so, um, ran a few big businesses at IBM, um, went to Unisys where I had really my first big chance at being a a global unit leader. And it was about that time with Unisys, um, early in 2001, where I had the opportunity to prove myself as, uh, really a growth leader and a transformation turnaround expert. And, uh, I say that because the unit I was given was bleeding revenue, uh, had high attrition, had fallen out of favor in the marketplace and the keys were handed to me. And, and the message was, you know, you've got a couple of months, turn this thing around, fix the P and L, um, fix what's illing us in the marketplace and, and make us a better unit. And, uh, that allowed me to really, um, you know, be entrepreneurial, um, learned, uh, allowed me to learn how to lead at scale and to, um, to understand a lot of the market impulses that, uh, make a business acceptable and thrive. Right. And, uh, you know, from there I had some other great experiences. I did the same thing. Oracle, uh, had a chance to turn around their entire global consulting business that was bleeding billions of dollars and turn that around into something that, uh, within two years, uh, became a big profitable growing business. Once again, um, HP, I went in and rebuilt from the ashes, a business called HP technology consulting. Uh, which was a global technology consulting business um, operating in over 150 countries, wherever they sold uh, products or technology or services. And that was a fantastic experience. Um, And then from there, went on to run uh, a big portion of Microsoft, uh, the unit called Microsoft Services. And that was fantastic. Uh, My primary responsibility was on the go-to-market and really fixing and turning around and growing that business, putting structure into all the different types of roles and, and people that would line up in the marketplace. Um, Microsoft has a unique challenge in that they deal in the tens of millions of customers and end right. users, uh, but got to work with many small businesses, uh, mid-sized businesses, very large enterprises. And that was a, <clears throat> a very successful adventure. And you know, once you have the chance to work at Microsoft, um, if you think about it, they have more people in one city on one street corner than most companies have around the world. Uh, there is just like IBM, there isn't a home or a building that doesn't have some type of Microsoft or IBM intellectual property or license, right. uh, you know, on premises. So fantastic experience. Uh, my most recent five years I spent at HCL Technologies. And I have to say that was extremely rewarding. Um, first time I had an opportunity uh, at the most senior level of the company to lead and run a business and a company, uh, one that was not headquartered in the United States. Uh, okay. The company was born and raised in India. And it gave me the opportunity. Part of my job was to, number one, grow it. Number two, make it more of a multinational player as opposed to just an Indian heritage provider of services. And, you know, in the five and a half years I was there, we literally doubled in size in terms of revenue, uh, went from five to 10 and a half billion of uh, revenue. We doubled in size of employees, 70,000 to 150,000. And, you know, we went from about 28, 29 countries to about 60 countries and really revolutionized the not only the front lines, but the leadership ranks in terms of 
uh, bringing diversity to the forefront, gender diversity, um, uh, different countries that were represented in the mix, um, and all walks of life that started to come into the leadership ranks. And I think that really helped fuel the growth of that company. So uh, I am thrilled to be here. Um, you know, I joined probably about two months ago, a little more than two months ago. I met Nigel right at the uh, right before the pandemic. And he and I had a, a lot of time during the pandemic in really a stress-free kind of uh, setting mm-hmm. when we both weren't tending to the duties of all the things going on with the pandemic. We had a chance to sit back and talk about uh, the nature and the history of Publicis Sapient, um, really the great legacy. But the focus was on where's the company going over the next 10 years. Right. And we were able to kind of craft and shape this whole dialogue and conversation around uh, what I could do in terms of playing a role to lead and spark and catalyze and, uh, and steer growth at, a, at really an exponential clip for the company for the coming decade. And so here I am. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously an accomplished career journey and very fortunate to have you joining us at Publicis Sapien now, especially to, you know, springboard us into whatever the future of digital business transformation looks like following the pandemic. But I want to circle back to the very beginning of what you what you kind of started at, at the beginning of your journey. And then just quickly give the context of there's a reason I don't want to do, I don't like doing too much prep with these podcast interviews. I like to get just enough from the interview guests to know where the conversation is going to go, but I love to have a little bit of surprise so that way you can have moments just like this, because as you described, you know, having uh, your family coming from Poland, Russia, being communist Poland defectors, my family comes from communist Poland. They defected in 88, 89 after spending four years in a refugee camp outside of Rome, landed here literally the same year the wall came down. So my family comes from a very similar background as yours. My dad was involved in like anti-communism propaganda rings and newsletters. It, the heritage goes way back, way back. Oh so gosh. to hear you say that, and, and talk about the fact that it shaped your perspective around, you know, coming from the secure confines of Philly and, and the, the kind of um, suburbs there to then go back to a place where there was food cards, right? Yeah. You know, just for me, I didn't get to experience that reality of Poland, but in the stories coming from my parents, my grandparents, it always helped shape a level of thankfulness for whatever we had here versus the challenges they had to undergo trying to make some sort of a living and survive and prosper within the, the confines of, of a communist controlled country. So it's just very exciting to hear you see that because now we have these this like natural synergy to kind of start off from. But how, how have you carried that perspective yeah. through your career? How do you think it's shaped the way you approach problems and organizations, you know, even now? So first of all, I'm just I'm blown away. Um, yeah. It's, it's rare to, uh, you know, especially professionally to meet somebody um, who can understand that or at least has parents and, and lineage uh, that experience that same specific um, set of circumstances. And yeah. we'll have to compare notes offline. For sure. Um, for sure. We're, we're probably cousins, you know, from a, a remote village somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll compare DNA. Uh, <laughs> you know, after this, but um, you know, for me, I, I think it really was a um, a very fundamental um, set of circumstances. In that, um, you know, first of all, just on the American side, growing up here, um, I 
didn't naturally fit in with all the other kids who had purely American parents. Right. So, you know, my mother was from Philadelphia, uh, but she was uh, actually only uh, second generation herself. Um, but then my father didn't understand a lot of American culture or American sports. So, you know, while I was, it, it was strange to me as a young child, you know, that he didn't know, for example, American football, that he, knew, right. you know, really uh, European football or soccer uh, more so, which wasn't as popular. Um, it, it helped me understand that there were other things outside of an American style of life. But when I would go there and spend my time, I think it gave me a different type of humility and um, empathy around understanding that there are so many different cultures and perspectives and human experiences uh, that don't add up to those that you grew up around that are important to understand and explore while we have this precious time on earth. And that's carried through my entire career. Um, You know, the, the higher up you start going in your career and the more scope and scale and responsibility you take on, uh, clearly the ability to still connect and understand the different human impulses uh, versus all of the data and the IQ that you're going to naturally have in a corporate setting. Right. The more you can balance out the EQ and the humanity um, and and know that there are many more ways of doing things than just the one prescribed way. Right. Uh, that has stuck with me and, and has been a tremendous, tremendous lesson. Yeah. And I mean, even if we kind of leapfrog to, to your experience at HCL, you talked about bringing diversity into the leadership ranks and that having an accelerative impact on kind of the growth of that organization, doubling it in size. I mean, but that's a reflection of exactly what you just described, this idea of broadening and having a diverse perspective and knowing that there are experiences outside of what you have. Has a, has a significant impact on how you conduct yourself and kind of the mindset you bring into the professional setting. So, I mean, just maybe talk a little bit about that. Just we can, we'll, we'll double back. But uh, you mentioned that introducing cultural diversity, introducing um, gender diversity into the leadership ranks. Was that something difficult for you to drive for a company that was already in another place of, of the world than, than you heralded from? Absolutely. I think... Anytime that um, you have large you know, groups of people that uh, come from the same background or have done things the same way or have a real shared history, uh, when new influences, whether they're positive or negative, get introduced, there's always a natural tendency to recoil and um, you know, to put the walls up. And um, you know, not unlike really any company, and, and it's certainly going to be a challenge within our own company as we start to transform and grow and change things. But both at HCL and then at other uh, parts of my career is that, you know, as you start to connect and build trust and then start to form a common vision, um, you know, when you strip away careers and work and everything else, we're all here on this planet for hopefully a hundred years, you know, give or take. And um, we have the ability to decide ourselves, you know, not just, um, how we're going to spend those days and minutes and hours, but what kind of impact we're going to have, um, you know, in our personal lives and in our professional lives. And I think when you start to have those conversations and start to form a common bond as to what, you know, you collectively stand for and how to go about that and how to, you know, form a common umbrella, uh, then it becomes much easier 
to start accepting newer points of view and new types of people into the mission. And um, it's not too unlike our experience here. We have this, you know, as we start to look ahead towards growth at Publicis Sapient, we have this, it's unlike many companies, um, this tremendous cadre of people that have been here for 20 plus years that have built, you know, every brick and nook and cranny of the company. And we absolutely have to honor that experience. But at the same time, recognize and, and blend in the people that have been here a year or less or five years or 10 or right. 15 years and find a way to get the best out of everyone's experience towards a common mission. So um, it's definitely been a part of my career. And, and um, I think helping people coalesce around the higher purpose is always yeah. the place for me to start when you're about to take on a growth journey or a transformation or a turnaround. Yeah. And I love hearing that about uh, talked about within my own organization, considering we function in the space of consulting, we're always telling that to our clients, you know, um, coalescing around a North star, working towards those objectives, right. And unifying behind them, knowing that we're taking our own advice and doing that internally is obviously a very exciting thing. Uh, but I want to zero in on something that you said, the word impact and, you know, that seems to be a trend throughout your career. Every kind of transition and jump that you've made, you talked about going in to fix or going in to turn around or going in to bring back to life from the ashes. You said, you know, I think those are pretty powerful descriptors. Is, yeah. is Was that something that you understood to be the right way to make decisions around jumps in your career early on, that it is about following the opportunities for greatest impact, not necessarily just where's the title going to be biggest or where's the money going to be biggest, et cetera. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I was fortunate, um, right after my IBM experience, IBM was, and many people that have, uh, spent time early in their career will tell you, it's almost like getting your executive MBA. Or yeah, your I've heard that. yeah. You know, you, I mean, everything and, and not just how to consult and act with clients, um, but you understand, you know, certain, um, disciplines and, and motions of how business works and how relationships work over time. And, you know, you even, I always joke, I still have a closet full of blue suits, uh, <laughs> back from my IB. The only difference between the suits are, you know, was I up five pounds or down five pounds? Right, 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 right. Sizes, right. But, um, there was a great mentor I had who actually became a very good friend over many years. And he's now actually the, the chief executive officer of uh, the firm called Hydric and Struggles. They're one of the largest recruiting firms in the world. Very and cool. when I was a young partner at IBM, he was a young partner at Hydric. And he presented me with the opportunity to leave IBM. And I, you know, it was a, a real risk for me. He came to me and said, look, you have, you have such a bright future at IBM. You have you know, it's, it's the blue chip brand name back then. And, um, you know, you're, you're in the upper echelons and you're one of the movers and shakers at a young age here. Um, you know, great executive support and things like that. I'm going to present you with an opportunity that's completely risky, uh, but it's going to give you a chance to, um, really magnify your impact, um, with really a, a company that has a, a lot of value and depth itself, but it's, become a little bit, you know, tarnished or the, you know, the brand was down at that time. So he, right. he pitched it as you have a chance to take a, an organization that's been on a losing streak and, you know, put them back into the winning contention. And that excited me, um, you know, helping a group of dedicated professionals and, and kind of bringing a brand back to life. It sparked an interest and, you know, 
every, every natural inclination in my body said, you're crazy. Stay at IBM. It's a secure future. It's a, it's a brilliant path. that's going to be defined, you know, in a certain yeah. way. Uh, but I'm, I'm so thrilled that I took that risk because uh, it's helped shape a journey that there is no defined path. Right. But there's absolutely um, a unique skill that came out of it. Um, you know, there, there aren't too many people around the world that have, you know, uh, led and, and, and built and rebuilt, you know, five, six, $10 billion P and L's and, and understand how to make big scale transformational change happen, uh, and impact the marketplace. And, and that's been a, a cool thing to do throughout my career. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that that has to be incredibly rewarding and, and satisfying, but I want to talk a little bit about how you assess that risk, you know, relatively early in your career, as you said, but, you know, you already in a, in a pretty significant um, leadership position at, at IBM as a partner. But you want, you mentioned that this was kind of your first shot as a, as a global unit leader and a leader of growth. And I guess when you were assessing that opportunity, you saw obviously there was risk involved, but also this was a pretty big stretch for you. Right. So that yeah, was part yeah. of where the risk came. So when you when you sat there and you assessed you know, you, you evaluated your skill set, what you can bring to the table, wh- what made you decide that you were going to be successful there or that it was a, a risk that you were willing to take because of what you were bringing to the table? Like, how did you assess that? that that's a big leap to make. You know, it, it's, um, I, I look back on that period of time and, and other changes that I've had in my career. Um, you know, for me, you know, you always have different types of data and different types of external information, but it starts with your gut and it starts with those close to you. And, you know, I've been fortunate, um, uh, you know, my, my closest advisor, um, she and I met, you know, back at university many, many moons ago at Boston university. And we've been married for, uh, let's see, 27 years, but together a little little longer than that. Thank you. And, but, you know, she knows me well enough and, and, we've always been able to have real open discussions. She's been a, a real honest soundboard about saying, you know, go for it or, you know, you're crazy to, you know, step in this direction. And, and then you have other advisors and mentors as well that you, you know, learn to trust over time. And, you know, you have those conversations with, but, um, I, I think when it comes down to it, um, you know, we all have to kind of get philosophical again, you have a certain amount of time, in your career. And it goes fast. You know, I, I still remember being <laughs> the young up and comer. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and, and now you're not the young up and comer anymore. Yeah. You're maybe you're the, the older up and comer, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, you realize, and then you start having mentors and friends that are now retiring or 10 years retired and it's hard to believe. Right. So with the limited amount of time that goes very quickly, um, you know, the question is how can you keep moving forward? How can you keep progressing? Um, and growing because I do have a belief and I've seen it time and time again, very few people will be satisfied with stagnation. Right. Um, you know, you can only go through so many weeks and months or quarters and cycles of a business and continually do the same thing over and over again. And I think the brilliant thing about our industry, um, in particular, you know, I, I'd sum it up as professional services, which has consulting and, and it has technology and business and outsourcing and managed services mm-hmm. and all kinds of advisory services and solutions. But if you're in our particular field and industry, there are always going to be incredible chances to push yourself to grow 
and fundamentally have an impact on society because we are the one industry and business that while we may be, you know, a smaller percent of the overall global GDP, we impact every single facet of society, of business, of life, um, you know, of government, of the economy, uh, either through our technology or our dose of medicine on how to do your business better. Right. Uh, so there are, to me, this is the most exciting place to be and a place that you can push yourself. And I think I started to understand that early on, which is we can be doctors to many different businesses. So it's like fun that. to have new, it's, it's, well, let me tell you something. So my entire <laughs> family are doctors, right? Mother, <laughs> father, sisters. Um, and they never understood what I actually do for a living. <laughs> right. You know, I think early on, my father thought that like I worked at Best Buy selling PCs, you know? Yeah. But uh, the way I explained it to him one day was that our industry is, is similar to being a physician. You know, our patients, um, you know, happen to be companies and whether they're sick or we're putting them on preventative long-term care, our medicine happens to be uh, great new ways of doing things in terms of business process or strategies and technology. That's the medicine that we, you know, provide to keep people healthy or to get them healthy. So I think you started to understand that. And if people adopt that mindset, they realize they can have a tremendous impact. Well, it's funny you, you say that. Another, another strange uh, coincidental synergy, but even my father works in the medical field as a technologist in a, in a dialysis yeah. unit, and he works there in very similar situation. You know, he understands but doesn't understand necessarily what it is that we do. And I like to say that, you know, we're as consultants, we're professional thinkers, we're professional problem solvers. But I love the analogy of, of being doctors who are, and our patients are our clients in these businesses. And I would go a step further and say, well, you know, over and above being a doctor, we're also, you know, athletic trainers and we're not just trying to, to get them healthy, but actually have them perform at a higher level at this point. Right. And that's where this whole idea of digital business transformation plays in. And I a hundred percent agree. And I was actually going to ask you, you know, you've had opportunities to work both at pure consulting organizations, as well as organizations that are built on their technology products. And I have to imagine that being in a company who's primary product is human capital and then brain power and, and human capability versus, you know, an intersection of people who can help stand up ultimately the product that in this technology, there has to be some difference there. And have you found that, um, you know, they, I imagine they present different challenges that you've had to overcome. Do they, do they lend themselves well to the other or have you kind of, what's your experience been going back and forth? So it's remarkable. Um, how similar the businesses are, but how different, um, you know, professionals on both sides of the house believe that the business models really are. Um, a great example, um, one of one of the teams of Publicis Sapient asked me to um, uh, help them with a particular pursuit and, and a large scale bid at a very established, um, you know, North American manufacturer in the last couple of weeks. And it turns out the the competition, you know, we're, we're coming in with very much a uh, strategy and consulting and full scale digital transformation type of uh, approach. And our competitor, the, f the other finalist, uh, happens to be uh, one of the companies uh, that's more in the you know large scale technology outsourcing arena. And they were coming in with a pure software solution. Right. And, and at the same 
you know, I think one of the big takeaways was we each have a different approach. They were both going after the same problem. It's really up to the client to choose which way they feel is best based on their needs. Um, you know, what I find is that we often segment ourselves too deeply in comparing ourselves to a certain set of peer competitors when our actual peer competition is, is quite a bit wider in the professional right. services arena. And there are a lot of great things we can learn from peers that we wouldn't even think are our natural peers. Um, you know, how to line up in the marketplace, how to surround clients, um, how to drive great client satisfaction, uh, how to bring the best of a number of different disciplines to the table, human capital, technology-oriented, new business ventures and models, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, so one of my big takeaways is uh, it, it's probably less worth focusing time on, you know, we fit into this segment and this segment only, but to recognize we have a wide open field. Uh, there'll be new entrants tomorrow. There will be people merging. Uh, so it's going to constantly change and we have to keep our head on a swivel. No, I think that makes total sense. I, I want to pivot a little bit to something that you said in a conversation we had uh, in one of our earlier conversations that really uh, has stuck with me. And that's that each time you step into an organization, especially in roles centered around growth, you like to assess the ambition of individuals across the organization, particularly at the leadership level. And I think that this idea of trying to gauge the ambition of, of people is really interesting. And I, I want you to talk a little bit about how you do that, because I think it's such an important thing to consider when you're trying to drive transformation, whether it's with our clients or internally, the idea that we need people who are ambitious and hungry to drive that change to be at the center of it makes total sense, but I've never heard anyone articulate that before. And when I step into an organization, I'm here to assess who is yeah. ambitious, who has that ambition, that hunger. I'd love to hear kind of your process for that. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, my process is pretty simple. It's, it's lots and lots of conversations. It's, yeah. you know, I wish it was more scientific than that, but I've always felt that um, when you look at, you know, culture is a funny word because it means so many things and it means nothing at the same time. But when you look at the heartbeat and the spirit of a company, you can kind of start to detect patterns as you talk to five, 10, 20, hundred, 200 people, mm -hmm. uh, common words that are used, common ways of thinking, common ways of feeling and, and looking at the market or looking at how things are delivered or put together or dealt with. And, you know, to me, one of the, the, kind of things that cuts across all of that is what's the ambition level? What's the desire, the dreams collectively of the group? How far do they want to go? Um, you know, is there a sense of satisfaction with, Hey, we're, we're good with where we are today. And, um, you know, we're okay incrementally adding a thing here or adding some dollars there, adding a country or whatever it might be. Uh, or is there a, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, is there somewhat of a relentless path that the team is collectively focused on? Um, and, and what that does do is it helps you understand the capacity um, and the willingness to change the speed and the rate. Mm -hmm. uh, and then ultimately, that, that collective ambition can also dictate how big you can become and how much impact you can have. Um, I've met very few people in this world that wouldn't say that they want to have an impact. Uh, and, and again, impact is a wide open word. 
but make a difference while you're, you know, in your job, in your role, in your career, in your company. Um, now, now the question is how much of an impact do people want to have? Do they want right. to leave a mark on this world? Do they want to change things? Um, I believe, you know, as I look at, uh, publicist sapient that we have all of the capability and capacity to affect change through digital transformation at a very high level, very high scale across many industries, governments, elements of society. Uh, what holds us back today is scope and scale and some of the execution things that we're going to unleash yeah. that allow us to apply even more people uh, to the mix. And, you know, quite frankly, in the process, it'll be fun creating jobs and, and bringing new people into the industry to get to practice the art and science of impact and ambition through what we do as a business. Yeah, I'm very excited to see a lot of that come to life, especially as it unfolds in these these kind of early stages where it's going to be kind of disruptive and and people get excited about the change. I want to touch on another thing that we we talked about early on and it's a shared passion around sports and you know, I'm involved in in a nonprofit uh, around basketball, but you mentioned that you actually coached youth football for a number of years. And I'd love to, to hear, you know, doing something like that in parallel to having a leadership role, you know, senior leadership role across large organizations. Did you find that that actually bled into your approach as being a leader, you know, in the corporate world while having to lead, you know, youth really, but in the sports world? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So it's funny. I look back on that period of time with, with so many joys, but also mixed, uh, feelings. Uh, I've always been a, a tremendous American football fan, uh, really a fan of a lot of sports and, and uh, work out vigorously uh, every day and uh, still participate in a lot of sports where I can. Uh, I say conflicting because American football also is probably not the safest sport to put young kids right. in. And it's really come to light in the last number of years. Um, but probably a good 10 years right up until that point. Um, it was a tremendous vehicle starting out with coaching one team and eventually six teams and have, you know, forming a, a community organization that had, you know, 300 plus parents involved, a thousand plus kids involved between cheerleaders and, and football players and, uh, different ancillary sports. Basketball came, was an offshoot of that, but it, it was a great community organization that allowed us to embrace children and to be, you know, to create great role models, especially for kids that didn't have um, the opportunity to have great role models in their life, uh, to provide structure and to provide some discipline, but also provide fun and enjoyment and exercise and all of the good things you get out of youth sports. Um, and it certainly translates into the professional world. I think, you know, one of the, the, the great qualities of, of football or basketball or other sports is that there is, um, there is a process, there is some structure, but there's, there's both science and art. So mm -hmm. there's, there's method, there's structure, there's a system. But then when you get out on the field and you're actually doing things, uh, it's a lot of split second reactions and muscle memory and yeah. creativity to make things happen. And I think it's a great learning process, not only as a young person, but also later on in the business world. You know, at the end of the day, every business is competing against another business. Right. And people tend to lose sight of that, you know, especially they get internally focused no matter what industry or career. Right. And they forget that there are other people out there 
you know, that are going after the same client that would love to take the business away, perhaps put you out of business or put you out of work. And we shouldn't ignore those threats. We should be lined up in a professional way that acknowledges we have to go compete every day and be at our best to perform. Yeah, I, I love that. And the idea of preemptively always planning to, to, you know, for lack of a better word, combat that and compete against it, I think absolutely makes sense. And the idea of, of coaching or playing sports and having that sort of um, passion or, or involvement or initiative that you're part of on the side that can be seen as relatively distinct from what you're doing in the professional world, but ultimately that diversity of experience bleeding in and affecting your approach as a professional. Do you think that's something that's young professionals early in their career, or even mid-level, mid, midway through their career, maybe in later stages should always aspire to have something that is, you know, very different from what they do day in, day out to, to do over and above what they do in the workplace to help drive that diversity of experience and diversify their thought and, and see where the, the accelerative benefits are? Oh my gosh. Yes. It's, um, I listen, and this has been a challenge. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have that as an outside interest because, you know, especially as you are younger in your career, um, I've always been a person that works intense hours. Um, there are many years in my career where I've traveled a million miles a year. Wow. Uh, you know, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little bit less. But um, you know, I've always had a very rigorous um, uh, twenty-four by seven, you know, cycle uh, in terms of the way I operate. Um, and part of it's been global roles, and part of it's been my own drive. Um, you know, competitiveness, and but at the same time, it takes a toll on having time to think about things outside of work. And, you know, your first thing, your first responsibility is always your family. Right. Um, so every ounce of time was spent with my family when I wasn't working. Um, I think it's important though, to have other interests to be well-founded. I think the pandemic specifically has taught people that, uh, life is not all about work right? Yeah. There's a lot more to life. I mean, we see all kinds of things happening in the marketplace today. And, you know, people talk about the great resignation and people that are just leaving industry period. Um, I think they'll eventually be back, but there is something to be said about the fact that, um, people are way too caught up in the grind of work, the seriousness of their career, um, kind of the all or nothing mentality. And it's just not worth it. Um, you know, it's, it's not to sound morbid, but nobody's tombstone is ever going to say worked at such and such company. Right. There really is something to be said for in life, having as many different experiences, uh, that are new and uplifting, um, you know, to help one connect to the overall planet and to society. And, uh, you know, I, again, so many people have gotten caught up in it's work, work, work. Let me climb the ladder. Let me get ahead. Let me stay engaged with what's going on. Um, you know, the palace intrigue of work for any hours that I'm not involved in, in direct uh, client work or, you know, normal responsibilities. And it, the reality is, is I think, again, the pandemic, one other thing that it's taught us is that it's okay to seek freedom from the expectations that have been placed on all of us. Um, 
And, you know, you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, many people were picking up all kinds of new hobbies and skills and uh, doing things that they didn't have a chance to do before. And um, I hope that sense of spirit and learning stays with people no matter what they choose to do in their careers. Um, You know, the one thing that I go back to my early childhood that I learned was, you know, again, there are so many different ways of living and that society can be conducted in so many different cultures and backgrounds. Uh, For me, one of my passions is in this lifetime to see as much of this planet and as many different types of people to understand their perspectives and their histories and and their reason for being and their why as possible. And um, I hope that, you know, as people look at work-life balance, which has always been a struggle, that you know, again, people can drop some of the expectations that have been placed on them from such a probably young age and throughout their career and really dig into learning the art and science of learning itself. Um, because I think that journey and that ambition and that quest to learn more, see more, do more, feel more uh, is going to give people all kinds of unlimited opportunities and potentials for their own growth in the near future and beyond. I think that that is going to resonate immensely with people, all walks of life and all different levels of their career or stages in their career. And I think it's a, a really great place to leave off. And Arthur, it's been such a fantastic conversation. I think there's so many learnings to pull out of this one. I'm really excited to have people listen to it and and really just get to experience it. I, I appreciate your time. And I, I look forward to chatting again in a couple months when you're a little deeper into your tenure here at Google Sasapient and we see all the great things that are coming out of the transformative kind of growth strategies you brought to the table. Absolutely. Peter, thank you for everything you do. And it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. 